Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. If God tells us to do something, should we obey God or should we obey man? And the obvious answer is you you obey God. You know, in most matters of, of government, those things do not conflict, right? When the government tells you that murder is against the law, that doesn't conflict with obeying God. In fact, it, it, uh, it complements uh, what God has said in his word. And, and you see, if you look again there at Romans chapter 13, not only does Romans chapter 13 describe what the, what the responsibility is of believers toward government, it also describes what the responsibility of government is. You see what it says. It says, uh, for instance, in verse 3, that rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Um, at the end of verse 3, it says, Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. Uh, verse 4 says, He's the minister of God to thee for good. Right? And, but the question comes up, what, what about when government isn't that? What about when government is, instead of being a terror to the evil works, is a terror to the good works? What about when, when um, uh, rather than praising good, the government is praising evil. Was Daniel justified in what he did, or was he disobedient? Was you know should he have obeyed the law? Uh, you know what what uh, some there's a there's an additional issue here that that uh, um, affects you know affects the applicability of of these things. Because, you know, you take a case like this, this county clerk. Now, she's an elected official. Uh, not, she's not just a citizen, you know, deciding whether to obey the law or not. But she's actually somebody who's a part of that government system. Similar, on a much lower level, but similar to where Daniel was. You realize that Daniel is not just some, some citizen of the Medo-Persian Empire, but Daniel himself is a ruler. Uh, certainly, no doubt, uh, there's no doubt that, that part of uh, what's going through Daniel's mind is that if he disobeys the law, this may lead to more lawlessness. There may be other people who say, we don't, well, Daniel didn't listen to the king, Daniel disobeyed the king, so maybe we can disobey Daniel, right? And yet Daniel makes that decision that possibly a difficult decision. Maybe it wasn't a difficult decision for Daniel, but he decides just to, to keep going on doing what he had doing, been doing in obedience to God and to, to go and pray as he had been. Now, um, you know, you hear in a, a case like, like Kim Davis, you know, so much, so much of what's written on either side misses a lot of the point, Okay. So, you know, certainly much of what's written from the, the secular side, much of what's written against King, da- King, 
King, not King David, Kim Davis. Don't know why that came out. Sometimes you try and say one thing, something else comes out. But Kim Davis, uh, much of what is is written, certainly from the the worldly side, there are some uh, good points that are made, but much of it misses the point. And even much of what's written from the Christian side, no matter what what position they take, misses misses the point. Um, what, what Kim Davis did in refusing to, to issue a, a um, marriage license to this couple, um, not only does it not violate the Bible, it doesn't even really violate American law as it really as it's been historically practiced. You realize there are all kinds of, of, of questions here just legally, not even talking about the moral biblical questions. For instance, the, the question is, if Kim Davis violated a law, what law did she violate? There, there's no law on the books in Kentucky. There's no federal law that requires her as a county clerk to issue this license. You have court opinions, Right? You have court opinions that have said certain things, and that's what she was put in prison for, was not for breaking a law, but for contempt of court. Because a judge told her, you must do this, and she didn't do it. But what law did she break? Understand that the law in Kentucky, I mean, the law has not been changed. The law in Kentucky is that a county clerk cannot issue a license to uh, a couple where there's not a man and a woman. Okay, and, and so she was following Kentucky law. She was disobeying a, a court opinion. All right. And not only that, there is a, a, a long history, and not just American law, but going back into, into European law that much of American law comes from, with regard to what's called the lesser magistrate. You understand that you have... You have uh, elected officials on various levels and with various jurisdictions, okay? So we have local elected officials here. You have state elected officials. You have uh, federal elected officials. And there are are times that come up in the history of government, the history of law, where a higher government official will violate the trust that they have with the people that they represent. You understand that the, the purpose of government is to defend natural rights. That's, the pur- that's all the purpose of government. That's why we choose to have a government, because we like to have things like our life and our property and our rights. And so... In cases where somebody violates that, there's a role for government to step in and, and do something about it, right? That's why we, if you read the Declaration of Independence, that's what it says, says uh, uh, that governments are, are ordained among men uh, to protect those rights, okay? And um, there are often times where government on a higher level will will, uh, rather than protecting certain natural rights, will begin to, to violate some of those things. And it puts people on a lower government level in a, in a position of deciding 
Am I going to do what's right with regard to my small jurisdiction that I have, even if it causes me to be in conflict with some higher government official? Um, you know, certainly we can, we can see all kinds of, of uh, examples down through history where lower government officials, because of some moral conflict, have decided to, to take a certain action. Now, you also suffer the consequences for that. You see, Daniel suffered consequences for what he did. He was thrown in the lion's den. Uh, in his case, the Lord delivered him from the worst of that consequence. But you see how he didn't, he didn't even really try to, he didn't try to resist or anything like that. Uh, he just said, I'm going to obey God, whatever the consequences are. At what point are you willing to make a decision like that? At what point would you decide not to obey a law in order to obey God? Have you ever, have you thought about that? You know, it, I, I think there's value in thinking about hypothetical situations that come up and, and thinking about how would I react in that situation. Because when you look at the direction that our culture is going, those kinds of decisions are going to have to be made more and more. Those kinds of decisions are going to become, um, you know, much more common. And especially for somebody who's holding a, a position within government. And even just as a, a private citizen, at what point do we decide that there may be laws that we have to violate? And it's a good thing to think about those things in advance. Again, you know, Daniel, um, it's, always, it's always struck me how it, it makes a point to mention there that he just did as he had done aforetime, right? So, so often what happens is with, among Christians, I, I remember uh, there was, you know, it's quite a while ago now, but... There was, it was in the news about prayer in the workplace, okay? And there, there were starting to be employers who were saying they didn't want uh, employees praying in the workplace. And, of course, people were saying this violated their, their religious beliefs. And what happened was there were, there were a bunch of, of Christians who had never prayed in the workplace before who said, oh, if they tell me I can't, I'm going to go and pray, that's not what Daniel did, right? The, the, time to, the time to pray or the time to be doing the things you ought to do is do it now. Don't, don't wait for somebody to tell you you can't and then take some rebellious position about it. And, you know, there's, there are a lot of people who approach something like this, this uh, Kim Davis situation where it's only, it is a very rebellious view toward, toward government, Right. And maybe they didn't, you know, they didn't even think about some of these issues before. But as soon as the government says you can't do this or you have to do this now, we're going to make it a point to make a show of disobeying the government. That's not the right attitude for a believer to have. See, Daniel had a, a, a humble attitude when he would do that when it was legal for him to do it. When he would stand there with the, with the uh, window open three times a day and pray to his God toward Jerusalem, he had a humble attitude about it when, he, when it didn't cost him much to do it. Okay? And he had a humble attitude about it when he chose to disobey the law and just do what he had been doing. Uh, you could argue, really, that Daniel is being subject to the authorities because 
when they come to, to take him to the lion's den, he doesn't resist. He, do, he, just, he just goes with, it, with them. You see that with the apostles in, in Acts. Uh, they don't try and start some, some armed uprising or try and replace the council. They just, they just go along with it. In fact, uh, there are times with the Apostle Paul where he actually um, turns the law around on his accusers and, and uh, causes them to have to, have to uh, obey their own laws. If you go over to Acts chapter 17, actually it's not chapter 17. If you go to uh, chapter 16 actually, Acts chapter 16. One of the many times when the Apostle Paul found himself in jail. Um, to begin in, in this case, actually, what the, what the case against him was, was he had, he had cast a, a devil out of a girl that was possessed. Okay? But this girl was a, a servant girl, so she was owned by a master. And... The master made money with this girl because she would tell fortunes, okay? And so when, when Paul casts the devil out of that girl, he's caused a, a monetary loss to her master, and he brings a lawsuit against them. He takes them into court uh, because he, because he cast, cast this devil out of this girl, and if you see in verse, verse 19, it says, When her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. You know that under Roman law... You could worship whatever God you wanted to worship as long as you also recognize Caesar as God. Um, the Jews in Palestine actually had secured a few, a few um, liberties from that law where they didn't have to do all of that so that they could still, still uh, worship God according to their conscience. But uh, for, for these Romans, for these Roman citizens... Um, for Paul to be coming and preaching the Lord God to them and preaching Jesus Christ as God, uh, that would actually be an illegal thing for them to, to worship Christ exclusively. Okay? And, and so they say, you know, they're teaching these things that are unlawful for us to observe. And, you know, they bring them before the magistrates there and they beat them. Now, one of the things that, that Paul does here is Paul was a Roman citizen. And it's not exactly clear how he became. You understand that the Roman Empire was always expanding. And so they would have these areas out on the edge of the empire where the people were not citizens, but they were a part of the Roman Empire. And you had more legal protections if you were a Roman citizen. So one of the legal protections that a Roman citizen had was that you couldn't be beaten without a, a trial. Now, for a non-citizen, like most of the people in the areas that Paul was, was uh, uh, teaching, many of those people, if they weren't Roman citizens, you could be accused of something, you could be beaten, and there didn't have to be a trial or, or a sentence or anything like that. But they take Paul here, and because he's a Jew, they just don't even think he would be a Roman citizen, and they beat him. 
And uh, you see then in, in verse 23, it says, When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And this is one of those occasions where the Lord is going to actually actually provide a way for them out of the prison. Uh, there's an earthquake. The prison door is open. The, they're locked in the stocks there. That all opens. And, but Paul doesn't leave. He doesn't go out of the prison. He stays there in the prison. And not only that, uh, the real miracle in that situation is he convinces all the other prisoners to stay there in the prison too. And that, that jailer, when he sees the situation, he's about to kill himself because that's probably what would have happened to him anyway if all the prisoners got out, as he would have been put to death. He's about to kill himself, and Paul says, no, we're all here. And he winds up taking Paul to his, his home, and Paul preaches the gospel to them, and the Philippian jailer and his household are, are saved. No doubt many of the prisoners there in the prison were saved as well, and he takes them back to the prison. Right? Because Paul's not going to, to go anywhere. And, and the next day, when they hear about this, when the, the magistrates hear about this, um, if you go to verse 35, it says, When it was day, the magistrates sent the sergeants, saying, Let those men go. And the keeper of the prison told this saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said unto them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have cast us into prison. And now do they thrust us out privily? Nay, verily, but let them come themselves and fetch us out. And he reminds them of the fact that they have broken the law. They beat him and he was a Roman and they, it was not legal for them to do that. And they threw him into prison, and he says, you know, if they're going to tell us to go now, don't just send some lackey down to tell us we can go. He says, you need to come down and tell us we can go yourselves. And he holds them accountable to their laws and how they had violated his rights as a Roman citizen. And they do wind up coming. You see verse 38, the sergeants told these words unto the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comfort, comforted them and departed. And, and you see there, uh, Paul calls, really calls them to account for their violation of their own laws. He knew what his rights were. As a Roman citizen, there's another another place in Acts where Paul is about to be beaten, and he mentions that he's a Roman citizen to escape the beating. Okay, but uh, he holds them accountable to their own laws. You understand that that our our laws in this nation are largely based on not on the Bible directly, but they've at least been influenced by the Bible. They're based largely on on uh, British common law which is influenced heavily by the Bible. And there are times where as Christians, we have to remind our government of its own laws, of constitutional uh, protections that, that we have. And that's not, a, that's not a, a rebellious thing to do that, any more than it was rebellious here of, of Paul 
to tell them they needed to come down to the prison themselves. Those magistrates probably never went down to the prison themselves. But they wanted to get rid of Paul and they were worried it was going to come back on them that they had beat him being a Roman citizen. And, um, you know, none, none of that is in conflict with what Paul writes there in Romans chapter 13. Realize that you're going to see more and more of these battles, not just over, you know, not just over these issues like gay marriage. You're going to see it over, a, you know, a large array of issues as the culture and as the laws increasingly turn against believers. And what we need to decide, each of us, what we need to decide is we need to decide what is, what is the line I won't cross? What is, you know, you understand you have this sphere of things that God has commanded to believers. If you imagine a, a Venn diagram here, you have this sphere of things that God has commanded to believers. And you have this sphere of things that are under the role of government. What did Christ say? He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Render unto God the things that are God's. And you have these things. But there's an overlap between them, isn't there? Right? There, there are certain things that are under the, the jurisdiction of government and certain, you know, and the jurisdiction of, of God, certainly. Um, but there are times when government steps outside of their, the bounds of what God has given to government. In fact, if you, if you take anything away from Romans 13, understand that it says God ordained government. Government isn't free to just do whatever it wants to do. Right? It may have the power. You understand there's, there's a difference between having the power to do something and having the right to do something. Government has the power to do all kinds of things. Think about all the wicked governments you see down, down through history. Think about the, you know, the, the Adolf Hitlers and the Joseph Stalins and, and these people in history. Government has power to do all kinds of things. But as far as the rightful role of, of government, God's given them a, a limited number of things to do. And when they step outside of that, and when government even goes to the extent of commanding Christians to do things that God has commanded them not to do, that, that Christian needs to, needs to have a line where they say, I'm going to obey God. And when I obey God, if there are consequences for that, then I'll suffer those consequences, whatever they are, and, and be faithful to God. Because when you're put in that, in that place, which would you rather be unfaithful to? Would you rather be unfaithful to a government of man, or would you rather be unfaithful to God? But you understand, that takes, that takes boldness. And it takes some forethought, because in, in the heat of the moment, some situation arises, right? You, you understand what happened in that in that Kentucky courthouse was some people who didn't even live in Kentucky came, they heard that this county clerk was not issuing marriage licenses and they came from a different state with a camera crew and with a big entourage of people and invaded the courthouse and said, we want a, we want a marriage license to make a big, a big point about it, right? In the heat of that moment, you may... The, thought may come into your mind if you've never thought of it. The thought may come into your mind, okay, it'll just be easier to go along with this. And you may regret that later on. That's why it's important to think about these issues in advance 
And, you know, we may, all, we may all long for a day when Christians didn't have to make many of those decisions, right? I mean, there was a, there was a time where the culture and the laws more, you know, were more in line with Christianity. That's not the case anymore. And, and we need to think about those, those issues. Um, we need to think about where our line in the sand is that we won't cross. And will we be faithful to God, even if it means disobeying man? The, you know, when you think about where our country is today, I mean, you think about, if you go back 15 years, if, you're, if your 2015 self were able to go back to the year 2000 and talk to your year 2000 self and describe the world the way it is today, you wouldn't believe yourself, would you? You know? Uh, you think about the, you know, not just not just the moral decay, but just the state of the world and, and uh, things that are happening between nations and, and that kind of thing. Just 15 years, uh, the world has changed so much, and it's hard to imagine where it's going to be 15 years from now. Now you understand some of those things, you know, some of those things kind of kind of oscillate between different extremes. And some things will get better over the next 15 years, and some things will get worse. But um, it's, it's hard to imagine where this nation may be 15 years from now. You see uh, other countries in the world where believers largely, largely have to, to meet underground, meaning, you know, in, in secret. And it's not inconceivable that we could be there in 15 years. Not, you know, there will always be some outward professing church that, that is able to get government sanction and, and uh, you know, not suffer persecution. But it's if you're going to be a, a Bible-believing church that you run into those kinds of conflicts. You realize in China, you know, there's a, there's a, a big state-run Christian church in, in China but where the believers are in the, in the underground churches because they realize that truth is not being taught in the state church. It's, you know, it's basically there for the, for the purpose of propping up the state. And that's what much of the Christian church is becoming, is it's becoming sort of an arm of, of the state to just sort of, sort of uh, prop up a certain established order. And you realize that the truth of the Word of God is something... That causes conflict. It's something that, you know, the, the Word of God, um, you can't stand for it. The, the Scripture says that all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And that's, that's less true in a culture that more reflects the truths of God's Word. It's more true in, a, in an ungodly and, and wicked culture. But... If you're not suffering, that, that verse tells me, if you're not suffering some persecution in some way, you're not being faithful to God's word. Because that's what the result of faithfulness to God's word is. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We don't desire it. We don't want it. But it's there and it's coming in a greater degree. Um, certainly the, the word of God warns us about that. And that's where we're going to close with a word of prayer. Lord God... We thank you for these things from your word. We pray that we would take boldness from a, an example of a man like Daniel. Um, we, we pray as the Apostle Paul uh, asked people 
to pray for him for boldness. That We pray that we would have boldness to speak the truth of your word. Uh, even you know, even as, as much as we've seen our, our nation change, we still have great freedom to make known those things. And while there may be a, a social cost often to uh, sharing the things of your word, we pray that we would, we would count the, the cost of disobeying you far greater than the cost of whatever persecution may come as a result. Um, we just pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment uh, pray that in these things that we wouldn't just go off sort of half-cocked and, and, you know, making rash decisions. Pray that you wouldn't allow us to, to fall into just a, a rebelliousness and a, and a bitterness, but rather we would just seek to obey your word and obey it whether there's negative consequences to it or not. Obey it when we're free to do so and obey it when we're not free to do so. And uh, we know that you'll, you'll strengthen us and and help us to uh, endure whatever the results are. We thank you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.